Welcome to episode three of Windwards, a podcast dedicated to gaming Glorantha, a Bronze Age fantasy world featured in such tabletop role-playing games as RuneQuest, HeroQuest, and also represented in several other games and art forms, brought to you by your crew of mythic sailors. I'm Bill. I'm Yuck. And I'm Ludo, a.k.a. Lord Abdul. We are bringing you this episode out of quarantine. The struggle with Malaya, that uh, cursed um, goddess of disease, continues. And we would like to add our praises and heartfelt thanks to those who take up the fight in our world and those who keep um, them and us supplied in our hidey holes. We grieve for those who have succumbed to uh, that struggle, and we send our best wishes to those still fighting this invisible foe. Bill, unfortunately, has not been able to shake his head cold and swears it's not COVID-19. He says it's more like 18 and a half. And now it's time to gather in the town center. The Herald's Podium is where the members of the tribe listen to the news of the world. And uh, just as Bill is having a hard time shaking his head cold, uh, the world is having a hard time shaking the number one news story of 2020, which is uh, the COVID-19 virus. Uh, the Windward's Herald's podium is no different. So we have a few uh, pandemic news to uh, talk about first. Jörg? So Bill found an item on N-World by the head of N-World, Russ Morrissey, stating problems in the publishing industry. Though the next bit is read by us, we are quoting the authors, starting with Bill reading the thoughts of Russ on the topic. It's not just conventions getting cancelled. The pandemic is affecting the entire RPG industry. Distributors such as Alliance are closing down temporarily, meaning that many tabletop RPGs are not reaching stores. Of course, the stores themselves are also closed in most places. To make things worse, at least one distributor of RPGs has halted uh, payments to the publishers. This puts a lot of tabletop game publishers in a very precarious position. Many of them have shut down warehouse operations or put employees on furlough. Now, turning over to uh, York, who's going to be and Ludo, who are going to be quoting Michael O'Brien. Vice President of Chaosium, and he replied to this letter that I sent him and asked him for a comment on. Alliance is one of our biggest distributors to game stores, so this affects us directly. We are one of the companies Alliance has notified that they will be delaying payments to, so we await more information about the payment plan with great interest. These are strange and difficult times, but we've made the decision to not reduce our headcount nor cut anyone's hours at Chaosium. Fortunately, our own fulfillment warehouses in the US, UK, Australia and Poland are still able to ship our orders as normal. So purchases made directly on our website, chaosium.com, remain unaffected for the time being. While delivery times might be disrupted or delayed, at present the only countries we definitely can't ship to are Norway and Switzerland. If these circumstances change, we will update everyone. Buying electronic versions of our product on chaosium.com or drive through RPG is of course unaffected too. Continuing on in Mob's voice. We get it though. If people's current circumstances mean this is something they can't afford right now, uh, to help people in this period of self-isolation, we're putting up assorted free stuff on our website, and our line editors have produced an introductory primer on how to get started on playing games online. We continue to wish everybody all the best until the stars are right again. Thanks, Michael. It is really good of you uh, to um, let us um, in on this. And we'll be talking about some of the free stuff shortly. But isn't that classy, keeping everybody on? Uh, it's pretty good, yes. Yeah. Uh, 
So, uh, yeah, we were talking about cancelled uh, conventions and uh, some uh, some cancelled conventions have decided to go uh, to online versions instead. Oh, yeah, good. Bravo. So uh, there's uh, one convention called Zoicon, which was uh, scheduled for April 24 to 25. And that's now going online. And... Another convention that is going online is Origins, the uh, Gamma uh, show. And that's uh, scheduled for the original date of June 19 to 21. So the virus is making us um, do the transition to moving online? Yeah. And uh, speaking of uh, playing online, Chaosium, like we said, is releasing some free stuff. Some of the first free stuff, uh, well, most recent ones are uh, virtual backgrounds for online gaming where you can put like some fancy picture behind you on like Zoom and Google Hangouts or whatever. Uh, so they have a bunch of very pretty uh, RuneQuest art pieces that you can uh, put behind you um, online. They are pretty good looking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's going to be a link in the show notes, of course. And speaking of links in the show note, we all, there's also a primer that Chaosium has released on how to get started gaming online. Plus, uh, there are a couple of uh, coloring items that are good for self-isolating folk suffering cabin fever. Well, color your own Tolkien. Um, a coloring book uh, by Bear, Bear with Teeth. This troll and Tolkien art from Rockfall uh, is... Rockfall's uh, the game that we mentioned last uh, time around um, as um, a, a news item, is that correct? Yeah. Yes. Okay. So this troll and token art from Rockfall is uh, for the Grantham tribe and anyone else who wants to color it digitally or physically for their own personal use. Beer with Teeth are happy and proud to say thank you to the artist Christy for suggesting the coloring book uh, for younger and older people and this item is available under i3RPG. And then, well, we have uh, RuneQuest, the coloring book in the competition. So let's uh, move this over to Ludo. Uh, yeah, so Chaosium had some fun, apparently, with the uh, Call of Cthulhu coloring competition last month, where they had a, a coloring book with uh, many eldritch horrors, and they were giving out a couple of things at the end of the month for the best colored um, things that people would post online. So uh, uh, they have a RuneQuest version now, Jörg. Yeah, uh, it is uh, another book you can uh, download directly from Chaosium. And it uh, says, color in any of the the scenes in RuneQuest, uh, the coloring book, and share your work on social media with the hashtag hash home with Chaosium. Use Photoshop or a paint program um, on your computer or print off your picture of choice and color it with pencils, pens, octopus ink, (laughs) whatever you want, we don't mind. So Chaosium will share people's works on their social media channels and on BRP Central for everyone's delectation. Uh, they will pick out some winners, which will receive a Chaosium Redbubble art board of their masterpiece. Uh, the contest ends in April uh, uh, on L- April 30th. Uh, so it means like I think by the time this podcast uh, is released, you will only have a few days to, um, to finish your uh, art piece. Yeah, and again, uh, you can download the coloring uh, book for free at chaosium.com, and you can also uh, get it at drivethrough.rpg. Awesome. Okay, next, uh, we've got a bunch of TLAs uh, to talk about uh, shortly. And what's the TLA? 
Uh, TLA is the tongue-in-cheek acronym for three-letter acronym because the news, <laughs> <laughs> the, yeah, okay. the news is about the BRP, SRD, and OGL. Oh man! <laughs> Say that three times quickly. BRP, SRD, OGL. BRP, SRD, OGL. No, it's okay. Uh, so. <laughs> BRP, of course, means basic role-playing, which is the underlying uh, role-playing system for RuneQuest, Call of Cthulhu, and all that. SRD is a system reference document, which is a fancy uh, term for basically all the rules written in a plain text format. Uh, well, all the rules that Chaosium is willing to share, at least with the community. And OGL is Open Gaming License, which is uh, basically a uh, license for people to use that system reference document freely to make their own BRP games. So what happens when you put BASIC and you um, put Open Gaming License together? You get kind of boggled? <laughs> <laughs> Just a check. Kind of. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, true, good, true. good. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, so we are going to skip over this news quickly because uh, Chaosium doesn't want you to, of course, try and copy their game. So anything that uh, has to do with, uh, you know, King Arthur, with Lovecraftian monsters or with Glorantha is theirs to uh, publish. So if you want to use the BRP uh, rules and uh, license to make a new role-playing game, it has to be a role-playing game about something else, which basically... Uh, Basically, they, they want to prevent um, having a Pathfinder type situation happening, um, which is fair. Um, but since yeah. it excludes Glorantha, it means that we can skip quickly um, and say that um, you can invent your own other Bronze Age fantasy things. Yeah. However, what you still can do, and what we're talking mm -hmm. going to talk about now, is you can still do stuff for the Johnstown Compendium. The community content program. Let's have a quick look at what Chaosium is writing on this blog. So, since the release of our last podcast, Johnstown Companion products have uh, hovered in and around six or seventh of the top ten best-selling product, fan products on drive-through um, RPG. <laughs> I, I know, not bad at all, eh? I found this um, news from reports from Michael O'Brien, um, Vice President of Chaosium, who is supporting fan-created products by advertising JC items on Chaosium blog, social media. Heck, for that matter, he's even mentioning us, uh, Windwards, um, um, and social media as well. Yeah. Thanks, sir. Yeah, they uh, definitely have uh, increased their social media presence, uh, and it's, uh, it's quite welcome that they are uh, supporting fans like this. Pretty cool stuff. I agree. Yeah, so uh, going on to uh, concluding what we rumored last time, the Rough Guide to Glamour has come out just in time for our record, uh, recording this. So yeah, yeah. it's now available on Johnstone Companion, the web store. Mm. Cool. We're going to be doing something on that in the near future, aren't we? Yes, uh, we, we were talking about that. And right. if, you, if you want to see a little more about this, you can read the a very nice review by, by Andrew Logan Montgomery on his blog. Mm -hmm. Can you uh, remind us what the Rough Guide to Glamour is? Oh, yes. That's, uh, well, it's basically the City Guide to Glamour, which was written for Freeform in 1997. And it's one of those uh, seminal Reaching Moon Makeup uh, Corp uh, products, which got the fans... Uh, uh, running off with all kinds of ideas and uh, derived products. 
Cool. Uh, these, these, this stuff really uh, shaped the fan activity of the 90s. Nice. And so it's going to be useful for anybody who wants to play Lunars or want to play in the Lunar Lands. Yeah, uh, it's uh, so far it's our best entry point uh, to do anything in the Lunar Capital. But uh, yes, you would have to do some work to get a RuneQuest campaign going on because this is a systemless book. Cool. Those are the best books. Mm. Okay, second item, a duel at Dangerford. Dangerford is a rather remarkable area in uh, Sarder. It is the boundary land lines between Sarder and Lunar Allies, number one. Number two, battles have been fought here, Dangerford, well, as the name implies. This is a scenario by Nick Blunt and uh, drive through RPG, as are all of the other Johnstown Companion products. And a quick uh, note from what uh, Mr. Brooke has to say about himself. The Duel at Dangerford contains RuneQuest role-playing and grants a scenario in three acts. Features half the provincial um, army of the Lunar Tarsh, drama, excitement, betrayal, foul Lunar sorcery, appendices just extra color. So a little bit of a bonus at the end. Oh, sounds like a pretty uh, good thing to uh, have a look at. Um, I have not uh, bought this product. Don't really have an awful lot to say at the moment, but uh, Nick Brook has been around for a long time, um, being a, a part of the Grant the World um, as, um, as a fanboy and a uh, author of uh, fan web pages and fan products, I believe. Mm-hmm. And music, music having to do with Glorantha for decades. <laughs> Didn't we have a little bit about your uh, singing other uh, other podcasts? Uh, yeah? Yes, Nick is the event inventor of the sing along, which has graced or disgraced many uh, uh, convention with Glorantha. <laughs> this topic, <laughs> graced or disgraced, is that what you said? <laughs> yes, yes, that's what I said. Oh my! <laughs> uh, well, you're going to get some. Nasty letters from Nick, that's all I can say. Is that why you said it not? I actually hope we do. <laughs> that's right. Um, another new Johnston Companion item called Jorthan's Rescue Redux by uh, Matthew Pook, Stephen Marsh, and John Sapienza Jr. Uh, it's actually a... So it's called Redux because it's a uh, remake and expanded version of a very old mini scenario that... Uh, appeared in White Dwarf 19 in summer of 1980. So Redux has nothing to do with ducks? I'm not interested. <laughs> Boring. <laughs> Next item. It, it, now that you say it, it does seem a bit of a letdown. Yes. <laughs> oh, man. Well, uh, we can, uh, yes. Yeah, I, I could totally see like a Redux uh, compilation of scenario where it's like all the scenarios remade with ducks. That, that would be totally amazing. Uh, now we're talking. Okay, <laughs> anyway. I'm sorry. This is actually really good stuff. I, I, my bad. Seth Hansen Jr. is a hero of RuneQuest, so, uh, and so is Stephen Marsh. My bad. Yeah. Well, apparently, I mean, there that um, that scenario uh, was good enough to be reprinted not in the Best of White Dwarf Scenario Volume 3 or not even Volume 2, but Best of White Dwarf Scenarios Volume 1. So that's, uh, you know, that's probably uh, a good okay. indication that it's a good scenario at least uh, for the times uh and yeah and uh Matthew, has always had good scenarios so yeah um and so Matthew yeah Pook the came, old ones yeah 
Matthew Pook uh, took the scenario and adapted it to RuneQuest Colorenta, expanded it, and um, basically it's about a lunar noblewoman who stumbles upon the players and asks for their help, saying that her husband has been kidnapped by trolls. So, yeah, what do you do? Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a short scenario, not too much, a couple of surprises, but otherwise um, um, kind of a one-session thing. So, you know, usable to uh, for when you don't have uh, too much ideas. So, Mr. Pook, and who else is involved in this one? Uh, the original authors of the scenario, so Stephen Marsh and uh, John Sapienza, but I think they just, uh, they're just credited because they are the original authors and they gave their blessing. Uh, I think Matthew Pook is the one who did uh, all the work this time around no he had a little bit of help uh, from the folk with uh, beer with teeth oh yes yeah yeah it's published in cooperation with them i'm not sure what who did what but yeah they are they are also credited there man those guys are everywhere i, I think they need a <laughs> bit more beer <laughs> <laughs> yeah well to some the next item is uh, darkness as well i'm afraid it's the Corn Dolls, uh, the uh, Sandheart uh, Volume 2. So it's playing uh, in the Sun County, on the edge of Sun County, with the Sandheart Militia again. It's a, a sequel to Tales of the Sando Militia by Jonathan Webb. And both of these uh, bo uh, volumes are on drive-thru, of course. A pestilence uh, threatens the crop at Cliffy. It festers at the very edge of Sun County, and the Sandheart Militia is sent to, uh, to investigate. The orders are simple. Purge the area of disease. But what caused it and where the source? The clock is ticking. Can the militia solve the mystery before the situation spirals out of control? Now, this sounds a bit familiar in these times. But, <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, this is an investigation-based adventure, uh, again, in the district of Sandhart, so uh, right on the edge of Sun County. And, yeah, it's nice that this area gets some more love from other authors. Well, if we can only have the, that militia coming around uh, to North America, possibly uh, we can loan them over to uh, Europe. They're done here. I think they have a little bit of work ahead of uh, our world. Yeah. Or we could, mm. uh, could use mm. the Heroes of your next item, Bill. Uh, good Lord. Yes, we return to ducks. I don't know about all this other stuff you're talking about, but <laughs> the Night of the Quackhead, the rumors were thankfully true. <laughs> um, it's now available at uh, a drive-through RPG. And quick recap: the Night of the Quacking Dead was uh, brought to you from um, Austin Conrad, and uh, the editing done by me. I had a great time uh, doing it. Not totally canonical, but um, Johnstown Companion doesn't have to be mm -hmm. a, a good read. A little bit of fun. Um, um, adventure seeds are yours for the, I believe, low price of a dollar and a half, but I could be incorrect on that. We'll see it in the uh, caveats on our uh, transcript. So, yeah, the next item is just a short one. Nick Brooks indexed to all uh, Johnson Companion scenarios so far, listing the amount of meat the scenarios in the community program have, what uh, kind of art they have, and uh, doing a little of uh, price uh, comparison. It's a rather cheap item, and it will be updated regularly. Nice. Uh, next, there's an item called Humact Raven and Wolf by Jacob Anderson. Um, it's a, a short uh, adventure slash hero quest based on the Glorentine myth by uh, Jan Cooper. 
and uh, it's basically a um, yeah a hero quest interlude that you can add into your campaign whenever you need the players to uh, befriend the raven who has like some power that are useful because he can uh, see stuff. And so it's the, um, it's a little uh, hero quest adventure to get that um, that power. Um, Disclaimer, I am the illustrator of that item. There's uh, only two of my illustrations in there. That's it. (laughs) Yeah, uh, next would be the most recent uh, addition to the Johnson Companion, uh, Whitestone Ruins. This is the first of three planned parts of a campaign dealing with Red Deer instead of the Namroidian clan, uh, which is since uh, 1613 part of the Malani tribe again. The campaign background is based on decades of fan-produced material and gives uh, quite a bit of uh, sandbox in addition to the name-giving uh, scenario and the cameos. And this series is uh, produced by Paul Baker. Uh, it has some uh, computer-generated art of the uh, places there, which is also produced as separate maps. You don't ju- just get a single PDF. You get quite a bit of extra material as well in the zip file that they're selling. Cool. Now I've got a quick question. You understand that uh, we are uh, throwing this out to Grant and Oldies who will go uh, Milani tribe. Well, I know all about them. Just a quick little background. Uh, you, you mentioned the Milani tribe as though this is something that we should all know a little bit about. Now, I think the, the Milani tribe are members of the Johnstown Confederation. Can we briefly just yes, give a little bit of de- details on who they are? Ooh. The newcomers <laughs> that, that are, you, are you are asking Jörg to be brief? Oh, he, he is amazing. Um, yeah. I mean, not only is he as smart, amazing at being brief as well. Cool. Uh, yes, the Malani tribe is uh, a warlike tribe uh, which is sitting north of the Kolyma on the creek. And they have a very uh, violent uh, migration history. Uh, the tribe broke up uh, at some later point with the Lismelder leaving for their own valley right next to the Undead Marsh. So, well, you can imagine if people uh, prefer the Undead of the Upland Marsh to their own relatives, uh, what the Malani were about. <laughs> Uh, so the Malani were one of the founding clans of Johnstown. In fact, their uh, tribal uh, king uh, became the first mayor of the federation. And he was the war leader against the Telmori when Sata came to the land and unified the clans and made peace with the Telmori, mm-hmm. which is a different, well, a rather long story. <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't have a ton of time, so maybe we should uh, shift on to our next um, item. So we are done with the Johnston Compendium item. So now is a uh, different item and last news item. It is about the soundtrack for the Glorantha, the God's War board game. So um, the God's War board game, we talked about it previously. Uh, it's this uh, board game with giant miniatures uh, where you play the gods in the god time, <laughs> fighting the uh, uh, fighting each other and fighting chaos and all that. And so there is a Kickstarter where a certain Dorian Spice, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, is uh, hoping to compose a whole bunch of music that you can play during your games of the God's War. And I assume it's also appropriate for playing during any other Glorenthan uh, games like uh, during your games of Hero Quest and Rune Quest. So it's, uh, I think it's generally uh, applicable. Uh, it's going to set you back between 18 and 50 euros, uh, depending on your 
pledge level. But for that price, you get a minimum of between 90 minutes and three and a half hours of music. But uh, depending on the stretch goal, it could actually go all the way up to seven hours of music. So um, so it sounds pretty cool. Yeah. And uh, it closes soon, April 26th. So when this episode comes out, you'll have only a few days to um, uh, pledge. Yeah. These are two French composers, so I was a bit astonished that you had problem with the name, Ludo. <laughs> Is it? It doesn't look like a French name. Yes. Well, uh, I, I would say that we're talking um, Alsace-Lorraine here, which would make it German, even if they are French. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry okay. to be your again, uh, but... Uh, oh, I, I thought it was a German name or uh, a Swiss yeah. uh, a Swiss name or... I, I would agree. Yeah. Dorian, I would say, might have some uh, French Almondertoes, but the, the last Spies, name, S-P-I-E-S-S. Oh, yeah, it says, that, uh, Germanic. It says that he's from uh, Strasbourg, France. Okay, yeah, okay, I didn't spot that. Okay, yeah. then. Uh, I, did listen in, yes. I did listen in to the sound bites, and I invite you all to do so as well. Uh, I think it's a rather nice uh, session music. Although I'm not quite uh, sure whether I would have uh, used them for the exact same topic, but the music uh -huh. is very nice. Let's take our dice and our gym books, because it's time to roll on the rumors table. We will learn and speculate about what's coming up in the world of Glorantha. Do you have dice, Bill? I do indeed, uh, Ludo, and they're ready to go. They're warmed up. Can you give a quick uh, blow on them there, York? Get another... <laughs> All right. Oh, my. Oh, my. Oh, my. Oh, my. Uh, we'll ignore that number. <laughs> I didn't see that number. Uh, 20, 20. 20 was a number. Honest, I'm not lying. <laughs> Which takes us... Are you one of those GMs who fudge rolls behind the screen? Um, will you get back to your side of the screen, Noodle? <laughs> Stop. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> uh, people are not going to take us seriously if this continues. You know that. <laughs> oh, well, we're talking about you, Bill. Uh, yeah, I guess. Uh, my, 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 yeah, okay, never mind. Valley of Plenty. <laughs> Valley of Plenty is what we have on the uh, 20 on our rumors table. Now, this is a rumor that says probably true. Mm -hmm. Pro PT. I, I've never seen PT before, but probably true. I've heard that rumor, so yes. This book will take you and your players from the age of eight or nine. Now, hold on. Just a second. 20? This is a HeroQuest product. We don't usually, we, we, we are all things Glorantha, and here we are with the HeroQuest product. Thank the gods. This book could take your place from the age of eight or nine to their initiation as adult members of the clan. The difficulty level and risks involved in scenarios will escalate throughout the book, but death or crippling injuries are unlikely. This chapter is of the saga represents the fuzzy golden tinge period of each character's life when the days ahead of them are endless. Their potential, limitless, and every adventure, just like a summer day, glorious. This book represents the God's time of your character's life, their childhood. We hope they and you enjoy it. Darker times do lie ahead. 
Yeah, well, you, you can tell that it is indeed not a RuneQuest product because uh, apparently they didn't want to risk having children uh, have their limbs chopped off. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, I, I kind of go with that. This sounds like a good idea. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, what Bill uh, quoted was the introduction of Valley of Plenty, which is the first RPG book from Sean and Peggy Carpenter, who are releasing it from their newly formed uh, company called Troop Games with uh, an awesome little uh, uh, logo Oh, that's there. cool. That's yeah, a good logo. Logo. I think Sean drew it. Uh, and apparently before they wanted to be called Cross road games but uh, they realized there was uh, <laughs> there was uh, another company or product called that in the in the rpg um, um. and you accuse me of pledging rules i swear to god i have a 20 here and what number is that <laughs> dice uh, saying right there that the oh yeah it does, is it does say upon? 20 yeah, yeah i did. did not fudge that yeah, i swear yeah. so um this product is uh, supposed to be the first volume in um a couple of volumes about the saga of the jaldon killers which i think is is uh, the name of a clan in the Dandalus tribe. So I'm definitely uh, going to be um, waiting for this to be released because uh, I think it's going to be interesting. Especially Dandalus, yeah. Yeah, especially the, the thing about starting as a kid. But yeah, the, interestingly enough, the Dandalus tribe, I contacted Sean Carpenter uh, because the French version of RuneQuest, who was kickstarted, well, not kickstarted, but uh, crowdfunded on Game on Tabletop last year, uh, you may or may not know that some of their uh, stretch goals was exclusive French product. And as those uh, stretch gold, one of the stretch gold is a an extra adventure and background book on the Dandalus tribe, actually. So um, I promised uh, Sean that I would uh, translate... Uh, uh, well, that I would read it and uh, and post some uh, review of what's in there so that uh, they can see what the French people did. So why are the French people, why am I, and why is Ludo so excited? York, what about the Dandelius uh, tribe is um, interesting. Like, have, have they ever had anything out on them before? Uh, they were mentioned in some of the Hero, Quest, Hero Wars books, but that's about all. Um, they uh, were broken apart in 1618, which is before the Hero Wars series. So, I uh, know, I don't think they had much. A new territory for us, uh, Tate bringing Hero Quest in, new territory for the World of Grantha bringing in the uh, Dandelius tribe. They are. Uh, they may be mentioned uh, in an upcoming product uh, on Barbarian Town, which was discussed a while ago, uh, to be written by Sarah Newton. No idea where that is uh, right now. That would be my kind of a town. Oh yes, Barbarian <laughs> Town. Mm. Like it. Yeah, and um, actually, uh, isn't? Am I getting confused, or is the Dundalus tribe uh, the one that got? basically um, com completely wiped out by the Lunars. No, the Matador were the tribe that got completely wiped out, but these guys did get badly schmucked enough that they traveled to various... Uh, many of them became members of the Poljoni tribe because they were horse yes. people to begin with. Yeah, yeah. Many of them became members of uh, neighboring tribes. I'm pretty sure they had a high body count, though. Yeah, I mean, they um, were... Yeah, they were... Yeah, there, was a, uh, there was a successor tribe uh, called the Enstalos, Yes. Uh, which included a couple of Dundalus clans and uh, some newcomers from the Lunar Heartlands. But yeah, that tribe uh, con uh, existed until the Dragon uh, Rise, which happened right in their uh, area. Well, it's now the 1626. 
dragon rise has happened, maybe the Dondoleus will uh, rise again. Yeah, well, yes. we, don't, we don't know if Val of Plenty happens before or after the Lunars decimated their tribe, right? Maybe that's what they mean by darker days lies, lie ahead, because maybe it happens before. Your quest. Your quest is usually set in 1617. Yeah. Good call, Ludo. Yeah, so maybe that's what the arc will be about, about like the decimation of their tribe and then their um, reformation, uh, survival and reformation through the Dragon Rise. There's a little bit of something interesting about these uh, folk uh, troop games and what they used to be called uh, crossroad games. Uh, they were heavily influenced by... Uh... Yeah, the troop game name, as far as I can tell, was uh, because they really like Ars Magica, which is the game that uh, popularized the troop uh, style of play. Okay, well, there you go. That makes a bit of sense then. Yeah, and, and I think they might actually even suggest doing a troop style play in the Valley of Plenty so that you can play various characters in the tribe so that you really have this saga story as opposed to just um, uh, sticking to the same character. But we'll see. I mean, these are all just rumors. Well, uh, we'll see what um, the dice uh, tell. And uh, uh, this is not too awful to contemplate, so that's good. But yeah, it's my uh, number one... uh, a product that I'm looking forward to seeing on the Johnston Compendium. Awesome. Yeah. So let's roll the dice again. And? It's an 88, but it's just the number of the rumor in the table. It doesn't say anything about whether it's true or not. It's, a, it? it's a critical success on in Warhammer Fantasy. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. I, th- but... I thought you were a girth man there, Ludo. Oh, I'm, I'm uh, everything, man. I love everything. He's a okay. renaissance man. He's a renaissance man. <laughs> yeah, and this uh, renaissance man might be my clue, because uh, you might have heard about Andrew Logan Montgomery. We already mentioned him. A renaissance man, yeah. And, yeah, he, is, he has been providing a very uh, intense uh, and uh, early uh, reviews of products, of both by Chaosium and uh, in the Johnstone Compendium. And the rumor is that he is now going to participate in the Johnstone Compendium as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, with a product uh, that's uh, named Six Seasons in Sata. And what what a bird told me is that this is about a little-known clan of the Kolima, which he would uh, learn about, play in, and, yeah, uh, see about its fate. Mm, interesting. And uh, as far as I can see, uh, it uh, may, uh, may derive from a poem. Not sure the poem will be provided, but... Uh, <laughs> Well, yeah, uh, it talks about epic an epic consisting of roughly 10,000 rhyming couplets. I don't think that will be in the publication. Mm-hmm. Well, that sounds like a bit of a wall of text there, York. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, uh, Mr. Tolkien got away with that, but only after he pro- produced other walls of text without the rhyming. Nice, uh, nice picture. Nice picture on the cover of it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I like so, it. The cover of a rumored uh, product, yes. <laughs> We will have links. Yeah. Okay. Next. uh, More uh, rumors from uh, Chaosium, actually. Uh, We know that Chaosium has been looking into print-on-demand options for Johnston Companion items. 
especially the the big fancy ones like uh, armies and enemies of dragon pass which gives you uh, nice drawings of all the types of soldiers you might meet uh or the rough guide to glamour that we uh, just talked about uh but they are also looking for options for their own chaosium store uh, especially the old material that is out of print, like Sartar Kingdom of Heroes, Sartar Companion, Pavis Gateway to Adventure. Uh, a couple of those are available on print on demand on Lulu right now, but you kind of have to go find it. Uh, we might share some link, but according to Scotty, this might come integrated directly into the chaosium.com store, which might be uh, very nice because it would be easy to find. There are a lot of people that want this rumor to be true. I mean, every a month every month of the past year someone has piped up in one of the threads can i get that on pod yeah <laughs> always on brp central that is yeah. a recurring uh, theme mm-hmm. yeah yeah On this episode's topic, we agreed to take a closer look at one of the earliest uh, codec narrators of Glorantha, The Travels of Peturian Varosh, a travelogue for the journeys through Prax that coincides with the sequence of the Cards of Prax presented in the RuneQuest II supplement of that same name. Cards of Prax was the first supplement to take the rather vague references to the setting of the board games White Bear and Red Moon and Nomad Gods and shaping them out for RuneQuest rather than using the only vaguely defined Rune Power 1, Rune Power 2, and Rune Power 3 spells that left fleshing out a cult description pretty much to the GM's hand, Cards of Prex provided concrete expressions of these power levels for Rune Magic and changed the game by making the cults define the character class and the setting. Note that it also has a much overlooked chapter on making your own cult too. This is not just about creating Lawrence and Canon, but about expanding it to your own vision as well. And that's what caught me to the setting. But uh, Cards of Prex was a game uh, changer for role-playing game publications too, creating a look at the mythos of Glorantha that went beyond the information given gods and goddesses of Glorantha series, then published in Worms Footnotes, nowadays forming the backbone for the Glorantha source book. Yeah. I read in a couple of places that Cults of Prax is considered as one of the first splat books in RPG history, or at least the originator of splat book. What's the splat book? So I think the term technically comes from like the mid nineties or something, uh, especially around the time uh, White Wolf was uh, producing a whole bunch of like uh, you know the clan books, you know the uh, Malkavian clan book and the Tremere clan book and all that for Vampire the Masquerade. But when I was reading Shannon Applecline's excellent uh, Designers in Dungeon, which is uh, I don't know if you've read it or seen it, it's like a, a multi book series on the history of role playing games. There's a bit in there where when they did Ars Magica, uh, Jonathan Tweet and Mark Rain Hagen, uh, when they did uh, the whole like um, uh, wizard societies that you can belong to as as a, as your as a wizard in Ars Magica, they directly cited uh, Cults of Prax as the as the inspiration for that, uh, where you can you know belong to uh, a cult and that both defines your powers and your place in the world and your character class so to speak, and all that. And so later, when Mark Reinhagen went and did Vampire the Masquerade, he reused the same idea for making the clans in um, in Vampire that you can belong to. And so you can trace that back directly to Cults of Prax. And, well, um, we're definitely getting a bit off topic there. We should probably turn this back over to Jörg. 
Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, back to uh, Bitorian Varosh. Jörg, are, are you awake? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Slightly. <laughs> okay, uh, back to Bitorian Varosh. Bitorian Varosh is a rune priest of Isaris and one of substantial wealth at the start of this expedition. So he's carrying significant wealth on a strain of mules and duprax. He comes well prepared, having done some market research with other traders in Sarta. Beturian's journey into Prax starts in the market of Pimper's Block, which is an altar on top of a half-buried ziggurat, right on the border between the fertile and once forbidden lands of Dragon Pass and the blasted chaparral of Prax. Pimper's Block is a traditional place to ransom people uh, taken in raids or to buy them as slaves from more distant places. At the time, taken over by the lunar Atiris cult, with Atiris being a daughter or aspect of Isaris bound to the lunar faces. Bitorian is looking for a native guide to serve both as an animal handler and as an intermediate to the beast riders and minor tribes of Prax, and he comes across a trader offering Nora Yeep, a young woman of the bison tribe, and an initiate to the beast mother, quoting, whose intelligence, wit, and vivacious allure recommended her to me, quote-end, but who also comes settled with her younger and fairly weird brother Morak. Again, quoting the text... Her purchaser said he'd take 10% off her price if I'd also buy her brother. The boy was skinny, too young to be of much use. Norahib whispered of Yuliria's arts and begged me to buy him. I still refused. End quote. But in the end, after some haggling, he takes on Warwick too. On his way uh, to Caravan Alley, the area of central Prax that connects most of the holy spots on the sacred land of the Beast Riders, his first encounter is at Henders Ruins one of the mysterious leftovers from the golden age of Prax, mostly forgotten due to the ravages of chaos. So, Bill, uh, what do we know about Henders Ruins? Well, Henders Ruins, very interesting place uh, with absolutely nothing written about it. Uh, so much of the early 1980s um, material came up with absolutely nothing. For instance, Henders Ruins. Um, you and Ludo both have sent me material. I've done a lot of research on my own. All we know is it's a ruins, and ruins in Glorantha are usually something a little bit more than ruins. Perhaps portals to another place? Let's uh, let's examine this a little bit. Uh, let's have a look into um, our uh, friends of baboons. Let's have a look at our friends um, Baturin and his uh, small crew of uh, people and the mule. Yeah. See, Let's see what uh, this all spells out for us. So... Three days out of Pimper's Block, the head of um, my baboon escort came to me and asked if he and his followers might retire to uh, the ruin nearby to celebrate an ancient ritual of theirs. I said I did not hire them to do rituals but to protect my mules. He replied, I could watch if I wished uh, since he trusted me and, well, they would work for me for a week for free if I allowed them to celebrate. <laughs> well, Baturin's no fool. He knows a little bit about bargaining. He's going to be getting a week's out free work here and knowledge. Knowledge is valuable no matter which way you cut it. Now, Aceres being the, um, is um, a very interesting god. Son of Lawrence and um, Helena Elor, god and goddesses of the celestial court who rule over change and harmony respectively. Okay, this is interesting. Aceres was a rather smart uh, young individual. Grew up in uh, the idyllic pastures of the magical world of the spike during God time, when all was calm and perfect. Noted for cleverness and a smooth tongue and wanderlust. Well, this sounds like Baturin right off the bat, and that is a basic idea. Carrying on, let's have a look at baboons. Now, baboons are a rather interesting uh, uh, breed. 
Baboons are a race of intelligent quadrupeds um, inhabiting Prax and the wastelands. They believed themselves to be remnants of an elder age when men and animals had not separated from each other. They considered themselves superior to humans due to their um, maintained integration. <laughs> they claim the monkey ruins in Prax was once the capital. Okay. So intelligent, large uh, critters, very proud of themselves. Interesting. The series, we have a bit of an idea. Dakafal, grandfather mortal. The first being to encounter death. All that followed him die. All beings, baboons, trolls, all that had Manrun. All um, uh, all of these folk are followers of Dakafal. Well, there's, there's our tableau. Uh, baboons, our priest and his uh, followers. The ruins. And an interesting ceremony about to begin. Um, so the baboons are followers of Dakafal. So um, can you tell us a bit about the ritual that they do there that Beturian witnesses? Bizarre stuff. Um, as in all rituals, summoning them and chants and dancing and all kinds of things were occurring. If, for for instance, uh, the speech was something that Beturian would understand, I could give you more details, but strange dancing, screams, primal screams, Darkness, when um, it should be daytime. I mean, it is dark season, granted. It is middle of winter, but nightfall is not very, uh, a little bit yet. But it's still a little mm -hmm. bit darker than it should be. Mysteriously, the dozen or so baboons in the troop seem to be more shadowy, a little bit nebulous. It's not a dozen baboons. Um, but if you're sure of this, it must be at least a couple dozen, maybe a couple score. Loud cries and screams that just shake his soul more than a loud cry and a scream should. Explosions begin to happen all over the place, um, almost like stars falling from the skies into the earth itself. Mm. So, yeah, it's this uh, very shamanic ritual with dances and screams, and all of a sudden it looks like uh, they, there's uh, this otherworldly scene happening. Yeah, I'm. I'm just wondering whether this uh, actually is uh, reminiscing the situation which made Henders ruins into ruins. Interesting thought. Um, a little bit later on in the ceremony, uh, the places where the stars exploded are dug up, and are. Um, it turns out to be a nut that Baturin uh, is told if he eats them, he can summon an ancestor. So, if his ancestors came from this area. Interesting thought. Hmm. Yeah, the Ender's ruin seems to be an important enough site for the baboons that they absolutely want to have a ceremony there. So it's possible that, yeah, it was the the site of some in, uh, important uh, uh, event in the baboons' uh, god time history or something. Well, we know that a little bit to the south of this. Monkey ruins are a very important site, of course. Um, it is not their high holy day. I did look that up, mm -hmm. so... Interesting. Note, note one thing here. Now, not only is he getting a ceremony and knowledge, he's getting a week of free labor. He's also going to get a summon ancestor. Now, this is one heck of a deal. Beturin's a smarter uh, trader than it looks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And do you think the baboons effectively crossed into God time, or do you think it was mostly spirit manifestations? Everything I've seen and everything I've read says that if you and I were watching this on the side, we would see a, a lot of madness happening, but we wouldn't see any God time. Now, within this area here, 
Baturin's watching stars fall, fall from the skies. He's seeing ghostly shapes. They're definitely in God time. Either that or they are in, or God time is, has come down again. There are these hidden ruins and hidden castles in Prax and the ways. Portals. Portals. Again, I think this is really something we have to explore one day. Mm-hmm. You still need the ceremony to cross into the God time, right? Like the portal itself might make it easier, but it doesn't work automatically, right? It doesn't necessarily work magically. There are rumors that people have um, entered into these ruins and come out um, um, in the time of their uh, great-grandchildren. So, mm-hmm. oh. maybe maybe drugs, maybe uh, the... Uh, <laughs> no, no, seriously. Maybe uh, drugs are required. Maybe the chanting and uh, the magic is required. Maybe the location is required. Maybe any combination of the three. Who knows? Mm-hmm. But this shame is definitely yeah, and required the stars to get may back. have to be right. The mm-hmm. stars might have to be correctly aligned. Now, interesting, as I say, this isn't a high holy day, but it is God Day. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, maybe the baboons version of the Decafal uh, cult has a holy day on that day. Who knows? I don't know. As I say, a little bit of research told me that that is not the case. But God Day is um, a holy day in a manner of speaking for many cults that don't have specified holy days. So. Mm. And it is a little bit more magical as well. I mm. think we have time for a cool question apiece from each of you. Um, who would like to start? So, uh, we have falling stars. This reminds me of the star captains who came into the darkness and helped the people then uh, to survive. Do you think this has anything to do with that? <laughs> I think you're putting your finger on it there, Jorg. That sounds uh, very likely. Can you tell a little bit about that tale? It sounds like you know a bit more about it than um, I do. Uh, I know about uh, what happened to the Vincotlings on the other side of the mountains. and. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had lost all their leadership and uh, uh, just to keep the tribes alive, uh, some uh, of the heroes of Orland, which had ascended the sky, uh, descended from there. But elsewhere, uh, uh, elsewhere to happen, uh, leaders would come down and I guess in Prax there would be the Friends of the Star Societies. There'd be a bit of a difference in Prax, needless to say, but... Oh, interesting stuff. Definitely worth a look. So, so far, I just started talking about baboons, Dakafel, Aceres, and Hinder's Ruins. We got a little bit of um, questions, and we've got a few answers. Uh, Bluto, do you have a follow-up? Uh, yeah. Um, what did you think upon uh, seeing baboons for the first time in a role-playing game? Love them. Great characters. The, some of the, and you can play one for God's sakes, sake of the gods, for that matter. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's pretty unique, right? One of the best characters in any of the games I've ever seen is a character by the name of Mellow Yellow from Michael O'Brien's games. My, my, <laughs> the fame, famed mob from uh, BRP Central, basic role-playing Central. Mm-hmm. He um, created a character called Mellow Yellow. I used to have a detective called Monk. That's monk to you, uh, yes. Um, you have a problem? I'm your solution. What can I do for you? But he was a detective, a Lanker Mayan baboon. Oh, cool. <laughs> Jorg, did you, did you ever have such? Oof. I didn't have any monkeying around in my games yet. <laughs> I'll duck out on that one. Oh. 
Well, Bitterion is next headed to a place known as the Block, where he wants to trade a precious material called uh, True Stone. Uh, but because it is located located near a Devil's Marsh, which is infested by chaos creatures, uh, Bitterion enrolls the protection services of a Storm Can and his multi-tribal fraction warrior entourage. Uh, payment includes money and beer, but uh, based on some recommendations he got back in Sartar about this particular Storm Can's tastes, he also had prepared a load of uh, sugar and honey, uh, and honey to uh, literally sweeten the deal. Uh, there is a small incident early on when the storm can buys a mule from Bitterian on the, on the way there, only to kill it, cook it, and eat it with his buddies. And later they loudly complain that they got sick from it. Bitterian has to quickly order the baboons to hold the angry Praxian warriors back, but uh, the Praxian uh, storm bullies mostly laugh at that. And it's only when Morak, um, one of the uh, two slaves, gets involved and they notice like some mysterious horns on his head do they uh, sober up and Bitterian is able to negotiate some partial reimbursement sadly for the reader but happily for Bitterian the trip to the block goes by without any chaotic threat uh, he acquires some true stones as planned and parts with his uh, uh, bodyguards so I mean there's a bunch of interesting stuff happening here, but because I like to uh, eat, you know, pies and cakes and stuff like that, what uh, mostly drew uh, my attention was uh, the fact that he's trading sugar and honey with the um, uh, with the storm can. I thought we could discuss a bit of the uh, trading of of uh, uh, like luxury luxury uh, substances in Glorantha. What do you think? Cool. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's an interesting take. So. Basically speaking, we've all been given something out of the cost of practice, and now we're even going further afield than Baturin did. Wow. <laughs> yes. That's cool. No, that's cool. That's really good. Mm. Um, can we can we take a quick look at what you were passing over really quickly? What's a true stone? Oh, true stone. I, I know, but maybe some of our listeners, listeners might not. Yeah, Jörg, you're the uh, Lankomai sage. <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, fine, yeah. A true stone is a piece of solidified law. It's a fragment of what once was the spike, uh, the axis of the world and um, the substance of the cosmic mountain. It's, uh, and it's so much uh, a material of the gods that you can store some uh, rune magic inside if it's blank, or once uh, somebody stores some rune magic inside, you can refresh that in the temple and cast it from there. Whoa. So it's really powerful magical stuff. Yeah. But you can't cook cakes with it. So let's talk a bit about honey and sugar. Practical. <laughs> uh, every practical, Ludo. Okay, honey and yes. sugar. Um, um, yeah. Returns, honey, returns a traitor. Yeah. Honey is probably the less interesting of the two. Like, so again, you know, I'm not an, a historian or whatever. So any anybody Ooh. with a history degree uh, is uh, welcome to scream at me uh, in the comments. Or <laughs> I prefer honey entirely. It's much tastier. Yeah, but not, but not very rare. Well, it's, I mean, by less interesting, I mean uh, that honey, as far as I can tell, has been uh, harvested for all the way back to, like on, on real uh, on real earth, uh, it was harvested all the way back to the uh, uh, Upper Paleolithic. 
And so you should probably be able to find honey in most places that have bees in Glorantha. So probably yeah. the fact that um, the fact that Biturian brings some honey to the storm can um, is probably just because, well, this way the storm can ha- has it. And maybe there's a possibility that uh, this way the storm can can get some honey um, made from flowers that are like, you know, wildflowers from the mountains of Sartre or something, which might be, uh, mm. which might taste different. Differently from the honey from the bees around the paps or the bees in Paris, well, right? If you're talking special honey uh, in the neighborhood of Sarta, there's the valley of flowers with the giant flowers. Oh yeah, which, that too, yes. which are ten, uh, tended by giant bees. Yeah, so yeah. that's special honey for you. Yeah. But now wasps don't yeah. really provide an awful lot of honey, but it seems to me that uh, on the other side of the mountains, almost directly opposite where we are right now. Are the wasp riders now? If they also provide honey, uh, that's that's an interesting thought. Yeah, well, those are also giant wasps. So yeah, honey from, um, uh, but yeah, probably honey from the Valley of Flowers might be uh, might be a good uh, luxury delicacy. Where, um, where, where, do, where do these items come to Biturin from? Like, how do, how does he get a hold of these? Um, I think uh, there's troll caravans um, coming down from uh, up north in Dagory Incarth and uh, near the Valley of Flowers that might come down south and oh, trade that. troll caravans. Yeah. Do so, you know anything about the troll caravans, Ludo? Because those are fascinating. Yeah, they're well, pretty cool. They're, um, they're you, creepy. Well, yeah. Creepy. <laughs> so you have to imagine like a couple of uh, troll traders from the Argon Argor um, cult, and they're accompanied by uh, often giant um, insect types. So often there's going to be like giant beetles with a couple of troll riders on top of them who carry like kind of a, as a replacement for mules. And sometimes there might even be um, undead trolls carrying uh, bigger loads like skeletons. Trolls are the children of hell um, in, the, in the dark ages of uh, t- before time began. So, yeah, I could see that. Yeah. So so there might be an interesting uh, origin to where uh, Biturian got his honey, indeed. Yeah, good point. You said Argon Argor. Yeah. Uh, well, Argon Argor is the uh, troll god of uh, trade, so he's kind of like the equivalent of Isaris with the trolls. Right. Yes. Yeah. But then, uh, well, Victoria uh, comes from Sata, and uh, Bultholm is a place where you can trade for almost everything. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. the yeah. crossroad for trade uh, throughout the continent, really. Mm-hmm. Now, um, I wanted to talk about a bit about sugar, though, if I've got uh, a bit of time left, because sugar is more interesting. Um, sugar. On real Earth, it actually came from uh, only a couple places like uh, New Guinea and, and stuff like that. And then it got uh, kind of spread around as people started uh, growing sugar canes in lots of other places. Uh, and as far as I can tell, uh, in the Bronze Age, uh, which is kind of the basis for Glorenta, um, there wasn't much sugar because um, very few people, if any, had developed the ability to crystallize uh, the sugar juice from the sugarcane. So you, you were just chewing on sugarcane back then, uh, which isn't a very um, 
like it's a lot of sugarcane to move for not a lot of juice so they didn't uh, they they didn't uh, trade a lot of sugarcane uh, now in glorantha as far as i can tell from my research um there's a couple of places that have sugarcanes like um there's a place in Kralorella, which is like in eastern um uh, generatella and uh, there's some more sugar canes in Fonrit, so all the way down to uh, Pamaltella. Now, with the opening of the seas across the oceans, that one, yeah, and so until them, really. uh, un- well, um, you could have had a few very expensive caravans going through plants. Uh, going there. Uh, but yeah, probably not a lot of sugar cane showing up in uh, Prax or Dragon Pass. But uh, there is apparently a very small local Kralorellan uh, earth goddess, I assume, that does have as a cult secret uh, the knowledge of crystallizing sugar. So if uh, Biturion is trading sugar, it's most likely from that uh, from that place, which is probably bound to be pretty expensive and pretty rare. Now, no, not only expensive and rare, but it's capable of um, winning over storm balls and getting um, access to a true stone. That's pretty powerful stuff. Mm-hmm. And the, the interesting thing to me is that don't forget that on Earth... People started growing sugar cane in a bunch of other places and the knowledge started to spread. So I could totally imagine like a, a campaign where uh, Isari's um, traders are hiring the uh, um, the players to actually, you know, steal sugar cane uh, roots so that they can start growing them like in the holy co- country or in Estrolia or something. And even maybe steal the, the cult secrets or maybe even independently develop their own cult secrets for uh, crystallization because that's bound to become a very pricey luxury item that you know people in Nochet or even in uh, um, in the Lunar Empire might pay a lot for so that's that might be an interesting yeah. kind of trading base and um, uh, like a agricultural engineering uh, campaign idea yes, yes but I have another you, idea um, Oh, please, go ahead, um, Jörg. I have another idea. Uh, I mean, uh, we know that the three major area races are always at odds with one another. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're living in Canada. I'm wondering that you're not um, mentioning the sugar content of maple syrup. <laughs> yes. So um, I think the dwarves, would, the dwarves would be the ones who uh, learn to crystallize the good stuff out of Adriami. Uh, possibly. I mean, we, uh, we're running out of time, so I don't know if it's going to be cut at editing, but, uh, but yeah, I did look into that because you did in, in fact, uh, uh, shame me into, uh, into that. <laughs> um, I did find, uh, some maple trees up in, um, in Northern Fronella. So there might be, you know, uh, uh, some maple syrup coming from there, but a more interesting thing is birch tree syrup, which apparently is fairly popular, like in Russia and Eastern Europe, because yeah. birch trees are, uh, can be found like in, in a lot more places in Sartar. And more importantly, there are Aldriami, like birch tree Aldriami elves. So I could totally, you know, see some, <laughs> some dwarves or some trolls or whatever kind of, you know, capturing birch uh, brown elves, uh, sticking uh, a tube in them and kind of like drawing their blood and selling it as elf blood syrup or something. That would be, uh, that would be a bit dark, but totally awesome. <laughs> okay, now this may end up being cut in uh, editing, but I do have one more question if I can, Ludo. Yeah, sure. Go on. Ludo, sugar is fascinating stuff. Um, we haven't got an awful lot of time here, but can you just give us a quick um, uh, feeling of 
any other luxury trade items you'd mention uh, that would come into this area and would leave this area? Oh God, yeah. Um, <laughs> I I ended up in a in a, uh, a black uh, hole on the Wikipedia. Um, and I mean, like listeners might ask for uh, a follow up episodes on 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 more uh, uh, things, but uh, spices. Uh, spices, drugs, and uh, minerals, like, you know, gems and stuff like that, uh, uh, basically made up a whole ecosystem of luxury goods that apparently in the Bronze Age uh, drove a lot of the long-distance trade. Uh, and, and so I think there's a lot of stuff to be done with spice trade, for example, coming from, uh, say, the East Isles uh, that suddenly you could sail to after the opening of the seas. So, um, so I imagine, you know, there might be some campaigns about traveling all the way to the East Isles, getting uh, some spice, like, uh, for example, uh, cinnamon, cloves, coffee, stuff like that, uh, bring it back to Crawlorella or to the Holy Country. I mean, there's a lot of uh, potential for adventures there, both in terms of non-combat adventures, like trading and negotiation, but also, you know, combat with pirates and stuff. Oh, thank you, Ludo. That's uh, a lot of uh, talk about. So that that was a pretty sweet uh, conversation you had there. <laughs> <laughs> so easy. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. I know. I go for the low hanging fruit. What can I say? Uh, I haven't mentioned it um, enough, but I do have a head cold. I do apologize for my really not sounding that good, guys. No worries. So, Jurg, what happens next? What happens next? Uh, yeah, actually, um, speaking of luxury goods, uh, let's now learn how uh, Beturians shamed or uh, enticed uh, to give away quite a lot of these. As he returns from uh, the block, he comes uh, back to a day's rest, the oasis they uh, started from, at a holy day. And as a good uh, initiate of Iretha, Norahib asks him to free her of uh, some magical shackles, which prevent her from doing magic, so she can uh, participate in the worship. Turian does so, and then he discovers that the oasis is currently occupied by a big clan of the Bison tribe. And what's worse, this big, uh, big tribe is celebrating a wedding. What's even worse, the bride is a close relative of Norahib. And suddenly he comes here, leading a, a woman in chains and yeah, bringing her to her f uh, family's wedding. What's happening now? And Norahib steps forth and congratulates the uh, wedding couple and promises great gifts from all over the world. And uh, who is going to provide them? Her new master, Bitorian. <laughs> and yes, Bitorian is very surprised by this, but well, he, he uh, is going to lose face. And so uh, rather than losing face, he deals out stuff. But does Norahib really want to shame him? Does she want to make uh, him look better? What's happening here? Um, what do you think? Yeah, I think she's trying to manipulate him into either having more respect for her uh, intelligence and cunning or otherwise she wants to just weaken him so that she can escape better later but i think either way she's trying to uh, play uh, games to later secure her freedom i'm going to go on a more positive and sunny outlook uh, to tell you the honest god truth 
let's uh, let's face it. She's got nothing. She she has her brother. She has herself. A gift has to be given. I mean, this is not a uh, this is not a um, theoretical. This is a mandatory. If they were in Sartre lands, hospitality has to be offered. You can't go to a wedding uh, with um, empty hands. Now, the only thing that she has is what her master has. Um, mm-hmm. To to appear to be a a, um, a pauper, that's not going to go over very well. This is a member of her um, a tribe. Member is it a member of her clan, York? Yes. Just, mm-hmm. So, yeah, this is serious stuff. I'm going to go on the positive side and say that she hasn't got much. She may be using her native wiles here, but uh, she's doing it for a good cause. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, okay, one thing that I found when I encountered this scene was that it reminded me of a piece of American history. I'm talking about the Lewis and Clark expedition that uh, went to discover the American West, and they took on a French trapper with a Shoshone wife by the name of Sacagawea, who became quite important in his in their relationships with the natives. And at one point, they encounter Sacagawea's uh, home tribe and find her brother, who also had been uh, taken in a raid like Sacagawea, and he is the chieftain of that tribe. And mm-hmm. yeah, this situation is almost like it was taken from there. Mm-hmm. I wonder. Well, you know, I'm pretty sure Greg Stafford and their crew were definitely um, historians uh, as well as um, historical uh, role players and war gamers. You yeah, they would they'd probably be familiar. Yeah. yeah, one would think, eh? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I can see where you're coming up uh, with the, um, uh, the analog there. You, 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 were, you, were, you, were man- you were mentioning uh, something uh, kind of interesting there. You said uh, slave bracelets and slave necklace. And you were saying it uh, as though it was something that uh, is more than just something to keep her captive. What what do you mean when you say slave bracelet and slave necklace? Yeah, these are magical items which uh, seem to be used by some slave takers to prevent them uh, to use any magic to free themselves and to use magic on the uh, owners. And I have a theory that these are an evil leftover of the Vadeli Empire. Darkness Empire, which uh, was famous or notorious for enslaving half the world. Mm -hmm. So can you only find uh, those magic tapping bracelets from leftovers of that empire or can we still produce them? I think the insidious thing about these is that uh, they are very easy to produce if they still exist. And if they still exist, it's a question whether they are still canonical. They are in the story. I don't. I don't think they are. If I recall from BRP Central, Jeff was saying definitely not. But at the same uh, time, it it does. Uh, it it is intrinsic to the story of uh, Cults of Prax now, isn't it? And it it does make sense that there would be some magical way to prevent your slaves from you know throwing fireballs at you, right? <laughs> so you're saying your game will vary. You're not saying your game may vary. They're little. Uh, yeah. I'm just I'm just saying that if uh, slave bracelets are not canonical anymore, I hope there is uh, a new alternative to explain how you prevent uh, slave uprisings. On the other hand, if you really do want those slaves, uh, nexuses and uh, bracelets, I believe at the back of Cult of Praxin, uh, one of the appendices, you'll find exactly the, how to use them in the rule system. So Cult of Praxin, get it. Um, Cult's Compendium also has it. It's good. If we haven't already said that, I mean, I hope we, uh, you're, we're giving you the opinion. It is good. Yeah. 
Yeah. York, um, is there is there um, anything else uh, that you really uh, think we should be looking at? Well, uh, uh, there's one uh, incident here. Uh, Beethoven is giving off rather uh, rare gifts. For example, uh, flowers that need to be sung over so that remain fresh, which <laughs> will uh, change this tribe or this clan of the bias tribe. Um, then uh, he describes how he gives off uh, how he uh, gives off lots of fleshy gifts to all the warriors. Mm-hmm. And how only one of them gets an valuable item? Yeah, to me, to me, it was interesting how, uh, as they all come to pick gifts from his um, uh, from his inventory, he describes how he's got like uh, uh, decoy items and secret caches in his um, uh, in his stuff. Uh, do you have any yeah. uh, advice for players who play Saris Trader and who want to hide the good stuff? <laughs> yeah, ob- uh, obviously, obviously, he's uh, he's got lots of flimflam. Yeah, and to be honest, those flowers uh, that are sung over, they may be uh, quite some earth cult thing, but they can't be that magical. Mm-hmm. But is there any like spells or stuff that lets you hide, like have a, a secret cache or something? I think it's just uh, you put out uh, what you want them to see and you make that flashy and you just smud, uh, smudge a bit uh, what you don't want to sell. I do okay. recall that there was a, there was a um, detect... Uh, I, I can't recall exactly how they put it, but there was magic in RuneQuest uh, uh, 2 that would prevent magic uh, from detecting something, but I don't think it's made it over to RQG. Again, your game may vary if you uh, find yeah. such a spell. I think it's kind of good that uh, you have to do a little bit of thinking. You can't always have the spells do it for you. <laughs> yeah. So do, do you think anybody could invent like a, a you know, a, a box with a, a false bottom or something? Like who who might you get this from? The Mostelli, of course. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but that's going to cost you a fortune. For the newbies out there, Mostelli is uh, what uh, Glorantha calls dwarves. And they're the engineering... Uh, people in Glorantha, right? So they would be inventing this kind of stuff, you think? Then possibly the thieves, I would imagine, would um, have um, ways of hiding it. Yeah, that yeah. was more my guess, maybe like the thieves' guild in Pavis or something. You could ju- just go the simple way and either put it inside some lead, for example, a uh, bag of clacks. Clacks uh-huh. are the lowest denomination of coins. And yeah. Other than trolls, nobody uh, values them, but... Uh, lead is a very good isolator for... I, th- I think you're mistaken on that. Clacks are valued by everybody. I think you're thinking of bogs. Bog. Uh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Lead, yes, lead coins as opposed to oh copper coins. Oh my, Bill shamed Jörg into an incorrect it, it, it statement. It can be done. It can be done, but you have to <laughs> well, really be paying yeah. attention. Any, any, <laughs> metal can, any metal can be used, and uh, yeah. but lead, of course, is one of the heavier metals, and... Mm-hmm. Uh, it only takes a, sheet, uh, a rather thin sheet of lead to be uh, impenetrable for uh, med- uh, magical scrying. Well, I was mean, mentioning uh, a quick note about bogs. Every coin is uh, nicely minted. It has beautiful shape, beautiful asymmetry, and you know that it's definitely been minted. Now, how a bog is uh, minted and how a bog is uh, differentiated from another thing that is actually a minted thing, it looks like it's been bitten into by heavy duty teeth and just kind of ground yep. around. Ah. Yeah, because but, because that's what's happened. 
Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly how they meant to me, right? <laughs> well, trolls are not our yeah. most sophisticated of individuals, or are they? <laughs> but that's another topic for another day. They no are. two ways about that. Yeah, yeah. You were asking about how to hide things. I think um, uh, York said it all when he said uh, decoys. You put it in with a bunch of other stuff so you just can't say what is the good stuff and what's the bad stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there are uh, uh, simple sorcery spells like uh, uh, which just keep things clean, which would register as magic. You could buy them from a friendly sorcerer for rather low fee and have some stuff which detects as magic without being that valuable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, in, in the story, the uh, the people from the wedding do cast a couple of detection spells, though, to to try and see. I, I'm not sure if they tr- if they do that to try and find uh, precious stuff or if they are trying to detect if any of those objects might be uh, cursed or have magical uh, abilities. It isn't really sad. No, uh, uh, there's one guy who. Uh, uh, offers some kind of law and he makes uh, enough money to buy a, a pound of coffee mm-hmm. which should be quite uh, valuable as it comes all the way from the far east isles yeah yeah we should really do a, an episode on uh, spice trading <laughs> well we must be getting closer to uh, needing a wrap up um, is, there, um, is there anything that we should say to really finish off uh, uh we might have to uh, we might have to revisit the story i mean we only uh, are only in uh, three cults now of the 15 that are in the book this book really uh, yeah this book really started to define Glorantha and it's worth reading so uh, now uh, that it's available yeah we'll post a link to the pdf that is on sale on the chaosium website my conclusion is is i'm pretty sure we've taken up a good uh, half hour to 45 minutes on this and we could have taken up about twice as much time with no problem at all <laughs> uh, Cost yeah. of Practice will reward you much beyond and above what it presents uh, amazing, really good uh, what's your conclusion on that uh, Ludo? Uh, my conclusion is that I really love the way that both the travel of Bitterin Varosh and uh, even I think before then the saga of uh, What's the saga in the actual rune quest? Yeah, I really love how they both illustrate the oh, like the good rules. Call. Thank you, Lou. Very, very also, good. Yeah, but also really give a, a vibrant picture of what it's like to play in Glorantha. And I think that's that's kind of uh, um, an innovation. Like I don't think anybody did that before. Show, don't tell. Wow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mind-boggling. It's yeah, Mind-boggling. it's just a brilliant idea to me. It doesn't end there. There's a Jack's Heart um, as well that uh, goes to Sun County. There's a Polis in the lands of um, uh, the uh, Brithini. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah, pretty yeah. sure that this could be continued on in other uh, modules as well. Amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's a, yeah, it's a staple of uh, RuneQuest uh, books, right? This This little trick, this little storytelling and trick. Even in RQ3, they had Cormat the Pict from Europe, from Scotland. <laughs> oh, in the yeah. mythic world, uh, mythic Europe thing? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and, so, yeah, um, that, that to me is the big uh, innovation, um, even, even above the whole concept of uh, player cults. 
And there's so many innovations that just keeps on giving. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and we are still uh, continuing with uh, with this kind of story. Now uh, nowadays we have Passana and the Garantha rules. Exactly. And, and we have the journeys of Samastina, one of the big players in the Hero Quest uh, Garantha book. Exactly. Yes. Listen, if people like this, we're going to have to come back here and visit a little bit more of uh, Cults of Praxis. But we'll, we'll have to wait to see what people say, like letters or voicemail or... Maybe yeah. a little bit of discussion on BRP Central. Yeah, exactly. There's like uh, 15 or so chapters. We're only up at chapter four. So we might uh, have like three or four more episodes following Bitter and Varosh. So hopefully we go back to it. Letters to the editor. Hmm. We do have a couple of letters to the editor. Krell. Krell from BRP Central. Now, who is this mysterious Krell? Hmm. Anyway, Krell says, The new Windwards episode was great. I'll admit some uh, small bias due to how you handled my rumor. Oh, geez, I guess we do know who this is. Austin Conrad, come on out. We know who you are. You can't oh, the hide. Author, the author of Monster of the Month. Monster of the Month. You can't hide behind that Krell name. We know who you are. <laughs> I love the <laughs> so, echoing evil laughter. Had me cracking up. Plenty of good Pavlis material, too. I definitely have to give it a listen to once my players finally uh, trudge their way back home. They're currently in Israelia, so that might take a while. Well, thank you. Ludo had a great time with um, the FX. And uh, who's, who's got the next letter here from uh, Coffee Master? Coffee Master uh, uh, said... If you guys ever need ideas for episode topics, I'd love an episode on the artistic depiction of Glorantha through the ages, from the tabletop game cover and the RPG books to the video games. Ooh, I'd love to do that. Oh, come on, you guys know me. Art, dub, audio, it doesn't work, or does it? Yeah. <laughs> I've been trying to get my computers to um, find their inner art uh, curators and let them out. An incredible challenge bringing art to life in a um, oral medium, but ah, CBC has been doing it for years. CBC is a wonderful uh, Canadian broadcasting corporation, for those of you that don't know. They have radio shows on art, and it works. So these were our letters, and now we're at the end of our show. Hopefully not too late for you. Oh, man, really? No more? Yes. Uh, oh, these no. two hours went by in a flash, oh, how many, <laughs> however many they were. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Well, we'll see. It, it, you guys are only getting a little bit of what we do here, needless to say. But, I mean, <laughs> well, our, our great editor here has got himself a heck of a job ahead of him on this one, but uh, Ludo's up to the challenge. He's going to do it. Oh, Maybe. yeah, yeah. But with that said, uh, yes, this uh, should be this month's episode, and we are working on the next one already. We're hoping to hear more letters uh, from you folks as well. Now, you can send them to us uh, audio. Record them on your favorite uh, sound uh, software. Send them as waves. Uh, well, what else can you handle, Ludo? Uh, email, uh, uh, messages on BRP, uh, pigeons, uh, and uh, radio transmissions from outer space. Oh, wow. Oh, so we are really uh, connected. This is good. How about Alice? Can we get anything from uh, Hogwarts? Uh, oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That would uh, that would actually make my kids uh, uh, quite uh, happy. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, hopefully we see all of you next month again. And in the meantime, 
farewell from me. And to quote the two Ronnies, it's farewell from him. <laughs> yeah. Und tschüss und auf Wiedersehen. Yeah, sehr gut. <laughs> and to all our friends in Finland, have a great day. Thank you for listening to this episode of Wind Words. Our website is windwords.fm, where you can find other episodes. Reach us via email at tribe at windwords.fm for any questions or feedback. We are all us. Okay, news section. <laughs> uh, oh, I'm the one starting news section, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, can, that can go in the, uh, in the bloopers, okay.